there's no excuse to not be ethical. Um, there's enough transparency in our supply chains. There's um, enough opportunity to source from ethical suppliers that really you should just be putting an ethical product on the shelf. G'day and welcome back to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and it's episode 19, which is pretty strange to think. You can stay up to date with what we're up to over at humansofagriculture underscore on Instagram. I know I say it each week, but for those of you who are coming back, thanks for joining me again this week. It's a pleasure to have you along as we ask questions of people from right across the agriculture ecosystem. For those of you who it's your first time, welcome, and I hope you're here for a long time. We've got a few videos and whatnot coming out over the next few weeks, so you can keep an eye on our Instagram for that, but we're also doing weekly photo blogs and just sharing stories of people that are in different areas of the industry. If you do want to feature, please get in touch. You can either email me at ollie at humansofagriculture.com or just DM me on Instagram. Today's guest is definitely an overachiever. Her list of accolades is extensive, but features some of the following. She was the 2019 Melbourne Young Entrepreneur of the Year. She was the 2020 Telstra Victorian Businesswoman of the Year. She's been listed by Forbes as well as one of the 30 people under 30 that's having influence. With business partner Nicole Lamont, Julie Hirsch launched a fair trade ethical vitamin tea business called Elements Tea. The belief was that ethical and fair trade is a non-negotiable to them. But in the tea business, it isn't always adhered to. Wanting to have an impact at the farmer level came to Julie from not actually being among farms when she was growing up, and she believes this is where her fascination began. She's personally recognised the disconnect that she had to farming and wanted to bring thought to the small-scale family-owned tea gardens that supply tea to businesses and consumers all over the world. They're seeking to disrupt and improve the supply chain at various points, and this is a business doing things a little bit differently. We touch on just the general supply chain and how it works, the challenges for smaller family-owned tea growers and farmers, the role that Julie sees for Western companies, and for her business in particular, in supporting the triple bottom line, both in their uh, countries of operation, but also in the communities in which they work. She mentioned that businesses are being extractive, and it has been her and co-founder Nicole's premise to ensure that they add value within the communities and countries in which they operate. Anyway, that's enough from me. So I hope you enjoy this chat and I'll chat to you after. Welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast, Julie. Thanks so much for having me, Ollie. It's awesome to have you here. And so I suppose just very briefly, like, what's been keeping you busy at the moment and how are you guys managing amongst the lockdown in Melbourne? Well, we are a Melbourne-based business, but we source our materials from five fair trade collectives around the world. So obviously we hear a lot about supply chain disruption at the moment with COVID-19, but often when we talk about supply chain disruption, it doesn't bring to mind the very many farmers and workers who um, put their heart and soul into the, pro into the products that we have in our lockdowns here in Melbourne and across Australia. So we've been really busy working with our partners to make sure that we can get our teas out of their respective countries and into Australia, which has definitely kept us very busy. And so I suppose just starting off, um, you've spent a lot of, I suppose, your early career and you're still very young. So you've spent a lot of time in not-for-profits. 
but jumping across into a commercial business like you're running now, how has the step change from a not-for-profit to, to what you're doing now? And obviously with such a big social cause underpinning Elements T. Elements is a fair trade business. So everything that we do is fair trade certified, which made the transition really quite seamless. Um, in the nonprofit sector, you're campaigning or um, raising funds to see a change in the world that you've decided you want to see um, and that you're working towards. And for us at Elements, um, our mission at the business is to transition the world to a fair wage for all workers. So it's really underpinned by that same mission-led vision for the world. Um, and on top of that, we get to drink delicious tea all the time. So really, it's been a fun transition. <laughs> and so you're not overdosing on vitamin T. Can you have too much of it? Uh, you can't. I mean, it's a bit of a waste uh, after a while because your body, you know, can't absorb the nutrients, but they're all water soluble, so it won't hurt you. Yeah. Okay. Oh, there you go. And so I suppose just wanting to tap in to around this, I suppose the purpose piece, which you've talked about there with elements, but more so kind of before that was, is it something like through your parents or through your upbringing that kind of led you down this path of looking at the bigger picture and I suppose the bigger problems and challenges there are in the world? I think a lot of people uh, in the workforce at the moment, especially your millennials and your Gen Zs, look at work very differently to the way that it used to be viewed. A lot of people in my generation and the generation coming up after me really see work as an opportunity to make impact. So I think with that in mind, we're going to see a lot of businesses really shifting to either a triple bottom line model or hopefully looking at rigorous ethical and sustainable certifications so that they can engage that younger workforce and, you know, both make profit and have a purpose. Yeah, for sure. And so I suppose just on that, the triple bottom line you're talking about there is that social, environmental, economic. So it, it can be an immense challenge when you start to look at these kind of the, the breadth when it comes to supply chains and particularly with globalization and the business that you're um, playing in. Were, did you travel overseas and kind of see tea gardens initially or, or how did the idea of a tea business come about? Absolutely. So my business partner had been involved in tea for a number of years. Um, she was actually one of the founding board members of Fairtrade Australia and New Zealand. And we met at an open writers group in Melbourne about three months after I moved to Australia. And I was working in the climate change space and had been thinking a lot about how climate change was absolutely impacting farmers, um, both in Australia and in developing regions. So in the tea industry, for example, um, in Sri Lanka, there's a change in the way that mists are coming over the tea gardens, which can cause blistering on the leaves. Um, and this is absolutely a climate impact. And it was so surprising to me the first time I went over to Sri Lanka, how um, that wasn't even a question. There was no question when I was speaking to the farmers that it was a climate impact. It was a climate impact because the climate was changing and it was affecting their crops. Whereas here in Australia and in the US, there seems to be this, this great debate still about climate change. And I think it's often because we don't see it day to day. Um, 
And with climate change, we know that the impacts tend to be felt by those who have the least to do with causing the problem. And that is what we absolutely see on these small scale tea gardens that we're working with. So um, coming at it from the climate change angle, Nicole, my business partner, um, had this crazy idea about four years ago to blend fruit and herbal extracts that were 100% natural and organic with fair trade teas. Um, she'd been working on it for a little while and realized just how big a project it was and how much opportunity there was for this product. And so she approached me and said, hey, do you want to join me on this, this ride? And I couldn't pass it up. Um, and we spent two years in research and development, mostly around the manufacturing process, dealing with the natural vitamins. But during that time, we absolutely visited some of our um, partners, uh, mostly in Sri Lanka, where we source most of our um, tea and spices from, and built quite a strong partnership there. Um, and that's where we now manufacture our product and do most of our sourcing from. Yeah, wow. And so, Nicole, I was doing a little bit of research, but probably not enough. So you'll have to give me some insights here. But Nicole sounds like she's a bit of a superhuman. So she's a single mum to three kids. <laughs> plus mm -hmm. she, after starting up the Fair Trade Alliance in Australia, mm -hmm. she then decides, mm -hmm. yeah, some, what, 15 years later that she's going to jump back into starting up another business. Can you tell me a bit more about Nicole? Yeah. Oh, she's fantastic. Um, so we, we always say that we spent five years critiquing critiquing each other's creative writing. And so of course we were going to be good business partners. Um, a lot of people ask me about partnerships in business and, you know, is that risky? And um, yeah, I always say we had a very good testing ground before we went into business together. But yes, Nicole had been working in fair trade tea for a number of years and kind of had this idea boiling away, but working with natural vitamins is incredibly difficult. So first of all, there are very few organic certified vitamins suppliers in the world. Most of the tablets that you get at the supermarket are actually synthetic vitamins, um, and they tend to have things like binders and fillers in them. Whereas for us, we really wanted to use natural plant extracts um, that come from fruits and herbs and botanicals. So there were some immense challenges around that. Um, and really, no one had ever done it before. Um, and so we weren't sure if it was even possible when we first jumped into this journey, whether we would be able to figure out how to process the vitamins in a way that we could put them in a tea bag so you can enjoy them in a cup of tea. Um, and so, I mean, Nicole is brilliant at big vision and um, really committed to fair trade and innovative products. Um, and so when we joined forces, it was just such a no-brainer because for me, I wanted to have impact um, supporting farmers who were facing the impacts of climate change. And I loved ethical, delicious products. I've always been a tea drinker, um, multiple, multiple cups of tea and coffee a day. Um, and I loved the supply chain and manufacturing opportunities that we had to really shake things up and do things differently. And that's always been where we've come from. We want to look at the decisions that you can make as a business and find opportunities for change and to disrupt in each of those decision points. 
Um, and I think that's what led us to the innovation um, that we have on shelf now. Yeah, cool. And so I suppose um, on that front, so you've, you've been talking about initially you really wanted to come. Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank, and I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported. Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade, or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more. Help or, or have impact at that farmer level, and uh, particularly in kind of these regions that are affected by climate change. Was there, did you grow up around farms? Are you from farms or, or where was that? Where did that fascination, I suppose, come from? I didn't grow up among farms and I think that's where the fascination came from. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles, very big Lovely. city, and then moved to Boston, another big city. Um, I've lived in 10 different cities in my lifetime, most of them, you know, giant metropolitans like Melbourne and Paris and um, New York. And so I think there's a real disconnect when you're living in a city with the things that you're consuming. We quite often forget that the piece of meat that's wrapped up in so much plastic actually came from a cow that someone raised and put their thought and effort into. Um, and similarly with tea, um, we source from mostly small scale family owned tea gardens. And the people who run um, these tea gardens are directly involved with plucking and with planning the gardens. And they have the opportunity to make decisions around planting spices for biodiversity, um, planting shade trees to make their crops more economically um, stable. So I was really fascinated with how as a Western company, we can support those ecosystems that build sustainability and economic stability. A lot of the time, Western companies are extractive. So they go in, they purchase the raw materials, they take those raw materials out of the country, and they value add in developed countries. And when we first set up our supply chain, we did have to do that. We couldn't find the right partner on the ground. And so we had to um, begin manufacturing in the UK. But within a year, we were already trying to find partners to move that manufacturing back to Sri Lanka so that we could make sure that the profit of that supply chain was staying in the country where the um, tea and spices were being grown. And that was really important to us. So we've just um, a couple months ago finished our first uh, production run with our new partners in Sri Lanka. We're working on our next production with them at the moment um, and really happy that we were able to make that shift. Um, and it's interesting when you come at it from a business perspective, because there is a business argument to doing that, but there's also an ethical argument. 
it reduces your carbon footprint, it means that you're keeping profits in country, and it also means that you can have a much stronger relationship with the people who you're sourcing from, which to us has honestly made our product possible. Um, at every challenge that we have seen, it's been our partners who have gone above and beyond to make things work for us because we are such a small team. And so on that, the piece there you're saying of, I suppose, the extraction of kind of larger businesses into these more developed countries, is, is there not a, an argument, I suppose, for where these businesses are staying across anything, not, not purely just in tea, but where they stay in these developing nations and it, it's the exploitation piece. Like, is that, is that one thing that is hard to manage where, when you're coming at it from somewhere like Australia or the UK or, or wherever it may be in kind of, yeah, dealing with, with what the challenges are on the ground? I don't think it is particularly hard to manage if you're working within a certification system like we are. That's one of the biggest reasons why we decided to become fair trade certified, not only because it matches with our values and we deeply believe in the systemic change that they're making, but from a business standpoint, we don't have the resources to audit factories. Um, and most businesses don't have those resources unless you're really large. So by working within a, an audited system like fair trade, yes, we're paying back into that system, but that system is allowing us to ensure that there is no slave labor used in the factories that we source from. There is no child labor used on the tea gardens that we source from and that they're using environmentally sustainable practices. So it really provides huge benefits to us um, because as you said, it's, it, it can be hard to do your own auditing of a large supply chain when you're a small company. Um, and so this is a, an incredible shortcut to make sure that you are being ethical and sustainable. And it's really interesting on the whole, the child labor piece, like it is, and, and worker exploitation. It's, it, oh, I wouldn't say a challenge in Australia because we've got such strong regulations, but with a lot of the products that are available in, in the supermarket and on the shelves, like when you don't know the process behind it, the actual, way that that product can get to you like i'm not sure what the stats are and maybe it's something i can go and look up but are you aware of kind of what the stats are around i suppose just in, in your kind of circle of, of expertise around tea but of the teas available on the shelf what percentage of them are like truly ethical and i suppose above board well only one percent of tea sold in australia last year was fair trade certified so there's a huge opportunity um, to grow that. And, you know, it's hard to say whether one company or another used um, slave labor or child labor. There have been certain companies in the tea aisle who have been called out for those practices and have um, hopefully fixed them. But I think when you're enjoying a cup of tea, like it's such a comforting moment in your day. Um, you do want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that people haven't been exploited when you're enjoying this beautiful beverage. Um, I think cocoa is a really big one for child labor. There's just absolutely um, endemic child labor used in, in chocolate. Um, and so when you're in the chocolate aisle, definitely looking for a certification that is third party audited is so important because that industry is so well known for exploiting labor. Um, there's 
also a lot of um, opportunity for consumers to make change here. Um, it's really true that you vote with your dollar. So the more fair trade or rainforest alliance um, products that are purchased, um, the more large companies are going to look at it and say, oh, well, actually, that's where the money is. So we need to step up our game. But again, that takes um, that takes education. And often those products are a bit more expensive. And so there are people who may not have the disposable income to make that choice, no matter how much they want to. Yeah. And so I suppose you pick up a good point, which I wanted to play devil's advocate on. And it's like, well, as a consumer, what, like why should they care? But I suppose more so to the point, like how are they, how do they become aware? Because I suppose around these certifications and the things that are out there now, like it seems to be a certification for everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. How, how are you guys, I suppose, doing it differently and connecting people to the brand? There are a lot of certifications out there, some far more rigorous than others. And there are some certifications that are on shelf, which um, if you look at who is funding the certification body, it, it can be funded by the company that they're certifying. So it's a really hard landscape for people who want to buy ethically. Um, I think looking for the better known certifications on shelf, you're never going to go wrong. Um, we talk a lot about third party audited. So with fair trade, um, we get audited every year or every two years. And we go through all of the products that we've purchased, all of the products that we've sold, making sure that it all adds up. Um, and each of the suppliers in our supply chain also get audited. So you know that someone else is going in and checking things, making sure that nothing's really going wrong. Um, it's also about looking for companies who go beyond that sort of marketing stance. Um, you know, it's nice to say that they support um, ethical business or innovation, but what are they actually doing? And it's really about just asking the company those questions. Um, the more that companies know people care, the more they're going to act on it. We really saw this in the TIL with plastic tea bags. So about 30% of tea bags in the TIL have microplastics in them, which one is gross because you're putting hot water on them. Yeah, absolutely. And two, it's really bad for sustainability because when you, you know, you're consuming that and you're pouring it down the drain and all of these microplastics we know are getting into the water sources and, and the ocean. Um, so consumers heard that and were absolutely disgusted. And tea companies very quickly made a change. So it's, it, there's so much power in, um, in people who use products. And I hope that people understand that power that they wield. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And it's, I don't know if it's education. I'd say it's more awareness. Like when it comes mm. to something that will impact you personally, like the, yeah, the thought of, consuming microplastics as you're drinking your cup of tea mm. and you're, oh shit i'm gonna go and have a look at what we've got in the cupboard now and just turf anything yeah. that's not because i know and this is one thing that we've talked about at, at work but i suppose kind of more broadly as well where you see that with each individual tea bag wrapped and it's something that i suppose given the COVID environment we're in now is yeah it's kind of a <laughs> it's all about personal health and safety but that kind mm -hmm. of Yes, it's on people's mind, but I suppose 
it comes back to looking after themselves. But that's sort of the microplastics kind of, yeah, I think that, that could be a fairly big deterrent straight up. Yeah. And it's those tipping points. Um, companies monitor the questions that they're getting. They really do um, because they, well, some companies care about their customers. Other companies care about their customers still buying from them. Um, and so if you, if you get that groundswell of people asking, um, you know, are you using plastic-free tea bags? Why is your packaging wrapped in plastic? Can you reduce um, the amount of plastic you're using in this packaging? Or could you use post-consumer recycled cardboard, for example? Um, those are all questions that are really easy to ask a company. And um, it allows companies who are doing the right thing an opportunity to shine and to build a relationship with the customer who's asking. And it also tells companies who aren't doing the right thing that they're they have an opportunity to build that relationship and build that trust by changing a few things. Um, and for us, we, we had a really interesting one when we were creating our product because the vitamins that we use, um, they need to be individually wrapped on the tea bags. And there was no biodegradable option for tea bag envelopes. And I, just spent hours and hours and months and months looking for a good option that didn't have plastic in it. And the only bit of plastic in our entire packaging is in those envelopes because we essentially had to decide, do we want to increase um, food wastage by having product go off on shelf or do we want to use that plastic in the envelopes to increase our shelf life? And we basically looked at the impact of having a shorter shelf life and the wastage that we would have both of the raw materials plus the envelopes plus the box um, versus the envelopes. Um, and we had to decide to go with the envelopes. But, you know, that was a really conscious decision that we made because the science wasn't there yet. Um, since then, there are some biodegradable envelopes that are being tested. And it was actually developed by a group of tea companies who saw this problem knew there wasn't a good solution and are trying to make it better, um, which then can benefit smaller companies like us who don't have the R&D budget to fix something like that. So it's really about creating an ecosystem within the business community of knowing that customers care and being able to innovate together rather than compete against each other to become better companies. Oh, yeah. No, so it ties back into, I think, what quite a few people have talked about who have come on the podcast and it's, it's a balance, isn't it? And I suppose I'd love to know more from your end, but like to be a hundred percent ethical or a hundred percent sustainable, a hundred percent this or that, like it's at the end of the day, it's not economical to, to make all those decisions. So it's about doing the best you can in the way you can, like, I suppose for tea and for you guys, like, is your consumer the person who like, are they coming to you because they value the fair trade and ethical piece? Or is it that they value that they're getting their daily vitamins? Like, is there, mm. is there one way that they're learning? Absolutely. Um, people are picking up our product because they are seeing it on shelf and going, hmm, what's a vitamin tea? <laughs> Which is fantastic. Um, you know, we set out to create the world's first 100% natural vitamin tea. Um, all, every cup of our tea has um, nine essential vitamins and minerals in it that all come from fruit and herbal extracts. 
tea has for the last few years really been a space where people are looking for a healthy beverage that's going to help them achieve whatever goal it is that they have for their health and well-being. And so we wanted to take that a step further um, and add a real scientific backing using standardized um, nutrients. But that doesn't mean that you can um, sort of give up on the ethical angle. I think any new business these days, there's no excuse to not be ethical. Um, there's enough transparency in our supply chains. There's um, enough opportunity to source from ethical suppliers that really you should just be putting an ethical product on the shelf, even if you also have innovation and world's first, because at some point, hopefully, someone's going to call you out if you're not ethical. Um, and so you might as well just bake it into your company at the start and know that you have no skeletons in your closet. Um, the other point that I make when I chat to new entrepreneurs, um, a lot of them talk about being ethical as their unique selling proposition. And I always tell them that that is not a USP. Because essentially, if you're saying that that's your USP, you are assuming that all of your competitors are always going to be unethical. And actually what ethical business should be doing is raising the bar for everyone that they're competing against. Um, and on top of that, you should have a great product that can sell because it is or isn't um, you know, in an atmosphere where you're the only ethical supplier. Um, because hopefully we are moving towards a more sustainable and fairer um, system of getting produce and products onto shelf. Um, and that's really being driven by people caring more about it. Yeah, absolutely. And so I suppose I just want to take like a step back. So the business is incredible, but in terms of, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> and I actually signed up and got my free tea. Oh, did you? Yeah, but they're stuck in Melbourne, so. Oh, no. Oh, well, you'll have to tell me what you think when yeah, you try it. Yeah, I'll let you know in six weeks' time or so. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to take a step back because I suppose one thing that I love about entrepreneurs and, and obviously yourself being a young person in business is understanding more of the thinking and rationale behind the person coming into the business. And so was there an aspect where it was like a now or never scenario for you with with starting your own business or yeah can you tap into i suppose some of that thought process of who you were at the time and why like was it the right time was it target market what whatever it may have been to be honest i really thought it would be fun <laughs> okay <laughs> and i think it, yeah, it, I was has, gonna say, been has it been incredibly fun <laughs> It has been, you know, there are always ups and downs in a startup journey, but it has just been, um, you know, the ride of a lifetime. And I, a lot of the other entrepreneurs I speak to, they, they do have this real joy in what they do. Um, you know, you're working crazy hours and you're never sure if it's going to work or not. So there's a lot of stress around that. But it's such, um, such a privilege to be able to be running your own company and to be able to make calls that you believe in um, is, is a real privilege. Yeah. 
It's interesting. And so I suppose I was going to ask, like when it comes to confidence and backing yourself, have you always like since day dot thought, okay, this like it's going to work or. Oh no, (laughs) absolutely not. Um, We were in research and development for two years, which it's easier to say two years, but sitting for two years, not knowing if you can create a product or not is a very long time. There were a lot of moments where people said to us, you can't do this. And we responded with, we can't do it that way. So what's our next step? Um, At the end of the day, we just weren't willing to compromise on the product that we wanted to create. It had to be natural. It had to be organic. It had to be fair trade and it had to taste delicious. Um, Otherwise, we weren't going to take it to market. But I think because we spent so long creating the exact product that we wanted, when we actually launched, we had an immediate response, both from customers and from retailers. Um, We sold our first box of tea in September 2018. And by February 2019, we had already secured a deal with Woolworths to launch in 75% of their stores. Um, Six months after launching with Woolworths, we launched in Holland and Barrett, which is a, a chain in the UK. Um, and prior to COVID, uh, we had a deal with a U.S. Um, chain of a thousand stores, which we're just waiting for the borders to open before we can ship them their stock. Um, and we really do believe that spending so much time um, checking in with our target market, um, checking in with our partners, making the product something that we were incredibly proud of meant that when we actually did launch, it just took off. And have you built yourself into the business? Now we're going straight back to the business. But have you, I suppose, openly and willingly kind of, is Elements T Julian Nicole or is Elements T kind of like this brand or persona of its own and you guys kind of float in and out? Well, I mean, <laughs> considering we both work, you know, the sort of standard entrepreneur 80-hour weeks on it, um, it definitely feels like, our creation, but I do hope it's something that lives outside of just the two of us. Um, I think when you pick up a box of our tea, there's so much thought and care and love that's gone into this product. I really hope that that somehow translates when someone sits down with their cup of tea to enjoy their afternoon. Um, And that hopefully exists beyond just Nicole and myself. Yeah, it's incredible. Two years just to see if a product's going to work or not. <laughs> were you, was, was it like a, a side hustle at that time? Like, or had you taken a jump into it? We were fully into it. Um, so Nicole had been running a company called Cheaties, which um, we still run, which is a fair trade tea company um, available in Coles. She'd been running that for a number of years. And so we were still running that company, but a huge portion of our time was spent on creating elements. Um, And we didn't, you know, sit idle in those two years while we were tinkering with the manufacturing and engineering of it. Um, You know, a lot of people love our packaging. It's a very like stylish matte black. Um, And we always say, well, we had two years to figure it out. So (laughs) If we'd screwed that up, um, you know, we'd have some big questions. To <laughs> so you nailed it. Who is your target market out of interest? Um, 
Our core target market, we tend to see as women 25 to 45. Um, maybe that's because that describes me and Nicole. Yeah, <laughs> um, which makes it easy when you but, can directly relate to your target market. Exactly. Um, but, you know, before we started the company, as I said, Nicole and I were, were quite good friends and we were both busy professional women and we would so often have conversations about how it was incredibly difficult to have your three healthy meals every day during the chaos of the day. And supplements really weren't for us because they were synthetic and they often had way higher amounts of the vitamins and minerals than you actually needed in a day. Um, and there just wasn't really a good option that felt um, luxurious and natural and healthy for us. Um, so yeah, we kind of created the product that we wanted to drink ourselves. <laughs> yeah, nice. Oh, it makes it easy. At least if, if nothing else, you would have had a lifetime supply of tea. <laughs> exactly. Oh, and when we got to design all of the blends, it was just the most fun. Um, so when you're, when you're blending tea, you do what's called cuppings, uh, which you get to taste lots of different varieties of tea and spices and flavors. And we launched with a, a range of five teas to start with. Um, we knew we always wanted to do a mint tea because we both loved mint teas. And so we ended up with our Egyptian mint, which is our most popular tea. Um, and we knew we wanted a black tea and we knew we wanted a lemon ginger tea. And then Nicole and I got to compromising on the last two because Nicole really wanted an orange tea. And so she got her summer orange tea and I really wanted a vanilla chai. And we found this fair trade collective in Madagascar that grew what's called bourbon vanilla, which is a type of vanilla. And it's just the creamiest, most delicious vanilla you've ever tasted, but it's also hideously expensive. And so my bargaining chip was, well, you know, you got your orange tea. This is my vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we actually just launched that one with Woolworths a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, wow. And so have you been out and on the ground and met the families behind growing the tea in all these different regions or is it something that is still on the to-do list? I would love to go to, to Madagascar to visit um, these vanilla farmers. I haven't been over there yet, but um yeah, we've visited uh, the Fair Trade Collective that we partner with in China, and um, I've done a lot of visits to the Fair Trade Collectives that we partner with in Sri Lanka. Um, haven't been to the Egyptian um, Fair Trade Collective yet. Would love to go post COVID. Yeah, when we're allowed. <laughs> Certainly a great excuse to to go visit some of these gorgeous regions and um, you know spend time on the tea gardens and the um, spice farms. Yeah, absolutely. Not a bad place to be. That doesn't sound half bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> and so another thing I want to ask you is around, so these long list of awards, I won't be able to list them all that you've kind of cleaned <laughs> up. So Forbes 30 under 30, the Telstra Emerging Leader Award, Telstra Businesswoman of the Year Award. Like the list goes on and on and on. Do you find that these things sometimes distract you or like have these achievements that you tick off kind of along the way, do they change your perspective or mindset at all? Awards are such a funny thing because when you think about winning an award, I think we all have this idea in our mind of if I win an award, I will be this type of person. And then you win the award and you realize that you're still um, the same, you know, 
mess that you are, but you've got this award to hang your hat on. Um, so in that sense, they don't change very much, but in another sense, they give you an incredible opportunity to, to stop and think about how far you've actually come. And for entrepreneurs, you're always looking at the next thing. Um, I think for most people, we're always looking at the next thing. What don't we have? What can we do? How do we grow? How do we change? And that's wonderful um, for personal development, but it also means that you forget where you started and how far you've actually come. So for me, the awards were a beautiful moment to stop and reflect on, my God, we've done a lot of work in the last few years. It's been a real journey um, and a really fun one, but also with a lot of trials and challenges. Um, and, and the awards really let me stop and, and take a moment to think about all of that. Yeah, that's cool. And have you got a favorite kind of memory from the last couple of years or yeah, last three or four years that has been? Absolutely. There is a favorite memory. Um, so when we, we got the call from Woolworths on a Friday afternoon that they were not only going to take elements, they were going to put us in 75% of their stores in the tea aisle. And we were so excited. And then we realized we were going to have to fund the production of a pipeline order to fill all of those stores with tea. And we'd done a, seed, a small seed funding round to fund the research and development, but we realized we didn't have the funding to actually supply that many stores. Um, and about that same time, one of our suppliers who had really been on this journey with us for the last two years as we tried to create the product, um, you know, heard that we were thinking about doing some fundraising to uh, try to fill that order. And they actually emailed us and said, hey, we've got a crazy idea. What if we invested in your company? Um, and we happened to be going to a trade show in the UK um, around this same time. And so we changed our flights, flew to Los Angeles, had um, a couple of meetings with them about what a partnership could look like. And then we had to fly out to the trade show without hearing um, you know, whether they were going to invest or not. And um, I had booked us a hostel <laughs> because <laughs> we were still, you know, very much in the start <laughs> phase, even though we were raising, trying to raise this huge amount of money. And you couldn't even open the door of the hostel because it opened into the bed and we couldn't get the suitcases in. We had to end up lifting them over the bed. Oh, and no. we, we got an email that night um, that they were not only going to invest, but they were going to fill the entire fundraising round. Wow. Um, and we were sitting in this terrible hostel just <laughs> over the moon, so excited. Um, and it, it really... Um, there have been so many moments like that where it feels like the people around us who have seen us on this journey just are so willing to believe in us and believe in the vision that we have for this company um, that it's, it's been so fun because it doesn't feel like we're alone on this thing. We have so many people um, who are right with us um, in the thick of it. And that's just been brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. And so I suppose, um, well, before we wrap up, is there anything you want to touch on or any, I suppose, 
areas that you want want me to or, or want to talk about now while you've got this massive platform no <laughs> why why you're here is there anything in particular or no i think that's been such a fun chat um I do have a little announcement, which is that we're launching a new blend with Woolies, um, which is coming out in September. It's called Urban Defense, a timely name. Yeah, and this is obviously exclusive to the Humans of Ag podcast, this announcement. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Actually, we haven't made this announcement yet, so you guys are the first to know. Well, there you go. Um, so it's going to be a raspberry and rooibos blend, which I'm so excited about. Yeah, cool. And have you, um, so I've had a bunch of different guests, but... One of them was Haley Blyden from the Oz Superfood Co. Um, oh, cool. Have you guys looked at any of the Australian natives or different, I suppose, um, ingredients that Australia kind of produces to value add to the tea? Definitely. We would love um, to do a tea with um, some native Australian ingredients. We do use lemon verbena at the moment. Okay. Um, and actually our, a lot of our flavors, our natural flavors come from Australia. Um, so that's been really fun to work with a couple of Australian companies. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're Melbourne based. So if you sign up for samples from our company, you can uh, know that they're hand packed in our Melbourne office when the office is open, yeah, which is Otherwise, hand packed at my, <laughs> yeah, hand packed at my living room table. Um, and sent out from Melbourne. Yeah, perfect. To enjoy. And so where can people find you, Julie? I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm very, I'm on LinkedIn probably too much. So yeah, you, Nicole actually well, asked me to mention that. She said, can you just yeah, mention it? Get off LinkedIn, Julie. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, so if you want to chat anything to do with ethical business or supply chain or tea, always happy for a chat on LinkedIn. And Elements is on um, social media on Instagram and Facebook. We're actually spelled a bit weird. It's E-L-O-M-E-N-T-S. C-O is for organic, which we thought was a good idea at the time. Um, and like, yeah. Has, uh, it, has <laughs> it been a good addition or it's a learning curve? Oh, I still like it. I think it's fun and different. You know, it's one of those things where you're like, yeah, oh, for organic, let's do that. And then people try and find you on social media and they end up with this US company called Elements with an E. So that's not us. Um, we're with an O. Uh, yeah. And Nicole and I, you know, run our social media. So we answer all questions that come through. So you'll definitely be talking to one of the founders if you jump on there. Well, that's it for another week, and I'm looking forward to joining you again next week for episode 20. I might actually put together a bit of a post and a bit of a reflection of the 20 different people we've spoken to so far. If you're like me, I found that chat incredibly informative, and yeah, from the microplastics in tea bags to the ethical trade, just to Julie's story and how she's gone about it, it's been fascinating. If you've got any questions or want to get in touch, you can find Julie's details in the show notes below, or you can just get in touch with me. Um, and we would love it if you jumped over to Instagram at humans of agriculture with an underscore and gave us a follow. Enjoy your week and see you next week.